praise you. Lord, you are the joy that satisfies. Your coming and your life and your death and your resurrection is what gives us joy in this moment. It is why the church is marked by joy. We rejoice in the God of our salvation. We rejoice in the one who has purchased us with his blood. And so, Father, we come and we offer praise to you, Lord, because you are worthy. Happiness is fleeting. Pleasures and satisfactions of this world are only momentary. But the steadfast love that we have found in you, Father, it is what sustains us with everlasting joy. And Lord, we rejoice in you. We are grateful for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we come to offer something, though small, we offer our praise. Your worth. And so, Father, as we come to this time where we hear your word read and proclaimed it as a holy moment, it is your words and it is your spirit speaking to us through our pastor and in the hearts of each of us. And so, Father, we come and, Lord, we ask that you would speak. Speak with your words. Speak with your power. Speak the truth that we need to hear. Lord, whether they raise us up or if they bring us low, Lord, we submit ourselves to the authority, the power, and the grace that is found in your word. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Have your way in this time. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning, Faith family. As always, it is good to worship with you. And uh, and we continue this morning in our Advent series on joy. And we've sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy, unspeakable joy. Um, that song, um, I think, is a little exhausting to our worship team, at least some of them. I'm only using one finger, so it's not so bad on me, but a little harder on the the other uh, instrumentalists and difficult song to sing. So thank you, worship team, for pointing our minds and our hearts. If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn with me to a very familiar passage, Luke chapter 2. We're going to zone in specifically on verses 8 uh, through 14. Um, the angel of the Lord appears to the to the shepherds who were out in the field. And as you're getting there... 
I looked up some definitions of joy. You know, joy can be one of those churchy words that we kind of think we have an idea of what it means, but uh, may have less of an idea than we think. But uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines joy as a feeling of pleasure or happiness that comes from success, good fortune, or a sense of well-being. Now, a theological website defined it a little bit differently. If you notice that Merriam-Webster dictionary didn't have anything to do uh, with uh, any kind of spiritual thing. It was a feeling of pleasure or happiness. But this website defined joy as a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope, and I and I, I wish I knew who wrote that. I mean, all I could find was on like it's on like Theopedia or something. So I don't know who wrote this, but I love that sentence. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. All right, so I want you to see that the notion of joy speaks to not only feelings of celebration and gladness and happiness, but also to a settled contentment, something that is not up and down, tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea, but something that is steadfast. It is a confidence. It is a contentment. It is a hope, but not in circumstances, but in a person. And, and that's what that's what we have. And so as we think about Advent and we've looked at hope and peace and joy, our brain goes to what is announced by the angel of the Lord. So I want to ask, if you will, if you are physically able to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start at verse 8 and go through verse 14 in Luke chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, as the angel of the Lord announced to these shepherds, Lord, we we see that their first instinct was great fear. But the, the pronouncement was that the angel was bringing good news of great joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fix our minds and our hearts on joy this morning and, 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 and why we should have joy and in what we should place that joy. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak. Use your word to encourage us, to inspire us, to motivate us, to convict us, to do with us as you see fit. We ask it in the name of Jesus. For his sake we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. 
We've got four points this morning that I want us to kind of think through and, and look at what does the Bible say about joy. Um, a lot of joy is all over the scriptures in a lot of different contexts, but I want to, I want to, I want us to kind of dig in. And the first thing I want you to see, turn, hold your place here. We're going to look at a few different places. Go with me to the old Testament to Psalm number 30, Psalm number 30. All right. As you get there, we'll just start reading at verse one. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. This is a psalm of David. And have not let my foes rejoice over me. All right, so the context here is one of uh, at least opposition. David is exalting the Lord. It said, the superscription says it's a song at the dedication of the temple. Okay, and so you think about this is. Uh, Solomon's was the one that had this temple built, but we can see David's kind of rejoicing. He has come through opposition. So you've not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And so you see in these first little stanza here, it is, I was down, but you have brought me out. Okay, does ever, you see the context there? All right. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And so the first point I want to make here is that joy abides in the midst of fear and uncertainty. Joy abides. Okay, go back to that theological definition of joy. It is a settled contentment. Okay, joy abides in the midst of fear. For David, he had, his experience had taught him that no matter how many negatives there were, that his God was with him and his God had brought him through it and had set him on this thing. And so, you know, the Psalms are so poetic, but weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Okay? There's this settled confidence knowing that God is working in our circumstances even when they're awful, okay? even when they're terrible. This joy is not a naive, everything's going to be hunky-dory, okay? because everything's not going to be hunky-dory, amen? Y'all know what hunky-dory is, right? That's not just a North Alabama thing. Okay? It is not a naive just kind of trust that, oh, I'm going to get over this sickness. My loved one is going to get through this. Our child is going to come through this rebellion. It's not just some naive. It is a settled contentment and trust that God is working out his plan and his purposes for his glory and our good, even when we can't see that or feel that. Okay, Joy abides. Hope, go with me to Isaiah chapter 35. And then we'll jump to the New Testament. Isaiah 35. Specifically, verse 10. Right at the end of this little chapter. Uh, it looks a lot like a psalm. But n- notice... 
kind of a, a looking, if you look at all of chapter 35, looking ahead to a time when the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's in verses 5 and 6. And then if you go to how this little chapter concludes, verse 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away this is the song of someone who is in the midst of sorrow and sighing amen they are with anticipation joy is abiding and leading them to uh, push towards what they know will come okay everlasting joy is on the horizon Okay, the ransomed shall return, joy shall be on their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now let's go to the New Testament. It was eye-opening to me, especially with these New Testament passages. Go to James chapter 1 first. James 1, start at verse 2. And you're going to recognize this pretty quickly, I think. Count it all, what? Joy. All right, that word all, some translations use pure. But count it all joy, okay? My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing well the thing that shocked well, it well I'm a, it surprised me how much joy was linked to suffering in the new testament okay that's why you you think those two things wouldn't go together but here it is in James, count it all what? Joy when you in tri- in, uh, meet trials of various kinds, for you know there's a process here. The testing of your faith is doing something. It is producing steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect, you're going to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is working in you, so count it all joy when you've got downs. When things, when things fall apart, when things are, when we're, when we've got nowhere else to look but to Him, count it all joy is what He says. Now, that's not, this is not the only time this is put this way in the New Testament. Flip over now to 1 Peter. Start at 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 6. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, in this you rejoice, okay? Uh, so he, they, Peter is commanding his readers, you rejoice, in what? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and what? Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so it's not just James. Peter here says the same thing. Okay, you are in an in-between time, but rejoice if you go through trials of various kinds, knowing that this fiery trial is working in you and you will see him in inexpressible glory. Okay, you believe in him, though you've not seen him yet. You are longing for the day when you do see his face. Okay, and so rejoice with joy. Uh, I love it when the New Testament, when the biblical authors get redundant, right? That means this is important. Rejoice with joy over what's happening. Stay in this book. Go over a page or so to 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, so again, right in the midst of suffering, trial, persecution. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's a, it, it, it was surprising to me how often this is not just some naive joy, be happy with everything that's going on. This is, you rejoice that you are going through this because God has you and he's doing something in and through you. You rejoice in so far that you're getting to share in Christ's sufferings so that you'll also share in his glory. Rejoice with joy. James says it. Peter says it. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says it. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. And this is the last place we'll go, at least on this point. In 2 Corinthians 7, let's just start reading at verse 4. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am what? Overflowing with joy. Here's the three, well, John, you got to put John in this mix. But three of the four primary New Testament authors, when they talk about joy, they link it completely with suffering, with affliction, with pain. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Verse 5 continues, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has com- was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Okay? For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Okay? So you've got, you've got sin, and you've got a preacher that has said something harsh, but true, and they responded the correct way, and he is saying, I rejoice. Not that you were grieved, but that your grief led to repentance, okay? And so uh, all of these linking this, that joy is settled contentment. 
Okay, This is rooted in the hope from two weeks ago and the peace from last week. We have hope that there's something beyond what we're dealing with right now. We have a peace that we can walk through whatever. And then because we have that hope and that peace, we can rejoice with joy in the midst of fear and in the midst of uncertainty. Think back to our original text, Luke 2. The shepherds are out there. They have no idea they're about to be a part of the greatest event mankind had ever seen. And all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appears and they are struck with great fear. And in the midst of their great fear, the angel says, fear not. I'm bringing you good news of great, not fear, but great joy. God is doing a work that's going to benefit you. And so shepherds keep walking in what you're dealing with, but know that joy abides. Weeping tarries for the night, but joy comes in the morning, I just was amazed at how often suffering, affliction was linked with joy. Rejoice with joy. Number two, joy expects. Okay? So some of the reason why you can abide is because joy expects future grace and blessing. Go back to that Psalm 30. Okay? And you don't have to turn there. We'll just talk about it. Weeping tarries for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. Joy not only, joy is a, you're able to abide with joy because you have the expectation that God's doing something in the future. Okay? I, I believe David probably wrote that psalm at the end and he was able to look back and see, yes, God was doing this. But why, why would Israel commemorate that? Because they needed to be reminded when they were in exile. They needed to be reminded when they were going through hardship after hardship after hardship. You know what? God has been faithful before. He's going to be faithful again. Right now I'm in the period of weeping and worry and and fear and anxiety and stress and lack of hell. I'm in that place right now. But I know that joy comes in the morning. Joy is linked to suffering. And then in a theological viewpoint, joy is eschatological. Okay. Let me explain that word for just a minute. Eschatology is just the study of last things. Okay. So if you're studying um, end times or things things that are going to happen at the end or end either for the human or end for the the world as in general that's called eschatology okay y'all with me nod your head if you're still with me okay the greek word eschatos means end or last so that's what that's where the word comes from okay joy is inherently eschatological okay in other words, it is you can have joy now because you know there's hope at the end. Okay, um, I love sports. I've always loved sports. I've told you this many times. You probably know this already. Uh, when I was a um, college student, uh, Mississippi State was pretty good in the late 90s. The years I was there, I take full credit for it. It was all me. I was there 97, 98, and 1998 is the only year Mississippi State's ever won the SEC West and gone to the SEC Championship, and I was there that, that time period. In 1999, Mississippi State was undefeated going into the Alabama game. Alabama was a good team that year. Mississippi State was, was undefeated going into that game. It was a top-ten matchup. 
And two of my very dear friends from my home church decided to get married that day. Uh, and I was in their wedding. And this was before DVR, but we had VCRs. And so I had programmed my television and the VCR to, to record the ball game. Okay? Now, he, the, the, the groom, was not a sports fan. He did not care who was playing, who won, did not matter to him. The bride was an Auburn fan. So I thought, hopefully, you know, by the time this wedding happens, I'm going to miss it all. By the time it's, you know, for pictures and all of that kind of stuff. By the time the wedding starts, the ball game is going to be pretty much over. It's going to be close to over anyway. And maybe just, you know, I can just, I can, this is an Auburn family. There's bound to be some Alabama fans here. Of course, it was in North Alabama is where it was located. I was the only Mississippi State person at all. So I thought maybe I can make it out of here, right? Big game. Undefeated state. That doesn't always happen. I mean, let's be honest, that, doesn't, that never happens very often. And we almost get, you know, I've let the wedding party know. I do not want to know. I don't want to know. And this is before you can just pull up ESPN GameCast on your cell phone, you know. People going back and forth listening to the radio. But I, I don't want to know. Derek don't want to know. Don't say, anything about, don't say anything to Derek. So I'm one of the groomsmen and I'm seating people. And wedding about to start. We've almost got there. Surely nobody's going to blurt something out during the wedding. And guy walks in and said, man, your dogs almost did it, but they just couldn't quite get it done. I'm like, seat yourself. I'm not walking you in. I never watched that game, right? I mean, I saw the score, but I never went back and watched that videotape. I'm sure I recorded over it with something else or threw it away or beat it with a bat. I don't know what I did with it, but I didn't watch it. Why? Because there was no hope. There was no expectation that things were going to turn out in the end the way I wanted them to. Right? And so we can have, we can have joy because joy expects Future grace and blessing. Though weeping tarries for the night, we know what? Joy comes in the morning. Okay? So joy abides because joy expects. Joy expects that God's going to do something. Paul says this in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Okay? He just got through going over. There's conflict in the church at Philippi. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Faithful companion, help them to agree. That's the context. And then he says, in the middle of conflict within the body of Christ, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. The Philippians, he, he brags in another place, they, were, they, they gave out of their great poverty. Okay? They gave abundantly. They were incre- incredibly generous even though they were in poverty. Okay? Their joy was not dictated based on their circumstances. And Paul is encouraging them again in the midst of conflict, in the midst of all you're facing, rejoice. And then he gives them the example. I, I know how to rejoice. And it has nothing to do with your circumstances. I know how to, how to have nothing and I know how to have plenty. I have found the secret. What was the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ was Paul's secret. And so this is why we have joy expects 
that God is doing something. It expects future grace and blessing. It expects being with Christ. It expects sorrows to be washed away and tears to be wiped away. It expects hope for tomorrow. Joy expects this. And so when all the little bumps in the road come, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the reality that we have in a person. Not circumstances, but a person. And a finished work on the cross. Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. He exclaimed triumphantly, it is finished. And we can have joy because we are expecting that blessing. No matter how many bumps we come upon, we put our faith in a person. And in his completed work on the cross, and we have hope, we can have peace, and we can have joy because we're expecting that future grace and blessing. So joy abides regardless of circumstances, especially in suffering. Joy abides, but it can do so because joy expects future grace and blessing that's tied to faith. Next thing is that joy proclaims this future hope. We didn't read it in Luke chapter 2, but after the angels and the heavenly host praise God. It says, verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them the shepherds did not just hold this in their heart and not let this be known it said they made it known they proclaimed okay so joy proclaims the angel proclaims it to them they go out and they proclaim it to who they come in contact with that god has sent forth his son In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are born under the law. The only one who could keep the law, kept it, and died for your sake. And so joy proclaims this future hope. This is not just an internal thing that we dwell on. This is something we celebrate and exclaim with gladness and exultation. Okay, We proclaim this. Joy proclaims this future hope. I want you to go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. This will be the last place we turn, so go to the very end of Luke. So in Luke 2, Luke begins with the Christmas story, and the first two chapters lead up to it, and you've got this, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, okay? Great joy, which shall be to all people. And I want you to see how Luke ends this go to the very last little passage there and verse start at verse 50 Luke 24 verse 50 the last two or three little little verses here well four verses he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven all right so you have Luke's version of the ascension of Jesus. Jesus has been he's been crucified, he has been gloriously raised, he has met with them, he has told them I'm coming back and now he's he leaves them. Okay? So this is Luke's version of this this uh, account. 
And then in verse 52, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Notice that exact same phrase that was back in the beginning in what the angel of the Lord said to this great joy. Same two Greek words, same kind of construction, smushed together. As best I could research, this is the only time both of those words were together, at the beginning of Luke and at the end of Luke, okay? So if you think about what's happening, Luke was telling a story. So if you think about here, biblical theology, what is Luke doing? Luke wrote two books. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. It is addressed to a most excellent Theophilus, okay? Uh, So probably a Gentile, maybe an individual, maybe that's a word for the Gentiles at large, but regardless, he is telling him the story of what, who this Jesus person is, okay? This Jesus was proclaimed with great joy, and then Luke ends where Acts picks up. It's these disciples then proclaiming that message, and so they go out with their mandate. The Lord has We know from the first part of Acts, he not only had told them he was going away, but that what? Go to Jerusalem, wait on the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here we get a little bit of a foreshadowing, a little bit of what's going to happen. They go to Jerusalem knowing things are going to be tough, but what does it say? With great joy they return to Jerusalem, knowing they are going to be commissioned for this task, to proclaim this gospel, okay? And so with great joy they stepped into martyrdom, most of them. With great joy they stepped away from careers, fishing or otherwise. With great joy, they stepped away from everything they knew into uncertainty because now their master, their rabbi was gone, but they did it with great joy, knowing they were being faithful to to be obedient to what they had been commissioned to do. And church, this is what we've been commissioned to do, as, as Brother Caleb put it, with the gospel, with the Lottie Moon offering, with going and giving and praying and making the gospel known. This is our commission And so regardless of our circumstances within our nation, within our state, within our own families, regardless, we've been given this mission. Joy abides and it can can deal with suffering because it expects future grace and blessing, but it doesn't just stop there. It proclaims this truth. Joy proclaims. And the last thing is that joy comes in knowing a person. All of this is... You can't just know about this story to be able to experience this joy. You have to know the person. Amen? It doesn't come with just knowing the facts. It doesn't come with just being familiar with Linus's telling of this on the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Okay? This, this, this is not... We have to know the one. We have to know him not only as, as creator but as, as redeemer. The one who has bought us with his own body, bought us. The one who is forgiver, okay? Lavished his grace upon us and forgiven us of sins. The one who is Savior. That's what the angel proclaimed. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. uh, Well, I messed it up. Let me just read it. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
Okay? Listen, joy, we can abide in the midst of our suffering even if we think we're in our darkest day and we've got nowhere close to it yet because I can't guarantee you that. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of hope that 2021 will be a whole lot better than 2020 was. But I can't guarantee you that. You can't guarantee one another that. We, we, don't, we don't know that. We don't know that the turning of the calendar page to a new calendar is going to make a world of difference, right? We can hope, we can pray, but we, we don't know that. Joy can abide in the midst of that. Joy can expect future grace and blessing. Joy can proclaim because joy comes in knowing Christ. It comes in knowing the one who died in our place. It comes in knowing the one who promised to walk with us through whatever we face. And so listen, this morning, I want, you, I want us to be joyful and glad. There's plenty to be disappointed in. There's plenty to be discouraged about. But joy comes in the morning and it comes with knowing Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. And we thank you that we can have hope. We can have peace. We can have joy because of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for each person within the sound of my voice right now, whatever each person is facing, whether it is fear and uncertainty, um, Lord, whatever it may be, I pray, God, that you would help us to abide in joy. God, to long, longingly expect what's coming. Lord, future hope, future glory, future grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to proclaim this truth. Lord, we can live in it and we can abide in joy even in the midst of loss and sorrow and grief. But God, there's many around us that don't know this hope, that don't know this peace that don't know this joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us and encourage us and inspire us and motivate us and convict us to be proclaimers of this gospel. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, they probably know about Jesus, but they've never trusted in Jesus. They've never surrendered. They've never, uh, they've never admitted before a group of people that they were a sinner and that they needed saving. God, I pray that you would move today by the power of your Son's name. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing a hymn of invitation?